welcome to Brain Chat. I'm Dr. Mitzi Joy Williams, your board-certified neurologist and MS specialist, and my mission is to engage, educate, and empower those affected by MS to become an active part of their healthcare team. Here on Brain Chat, we'll be discussing all things MS, health and wellness, advocacy, and we'll even throw a little bit of music and music therapy in there as well. Thank you so much for joining us and stay tuned for the next episode. Hey, everybody. Happy Monday. Welcome to Brain Chat. I am so, so excited. I've got so much exciting news this week, Um, but so happy to be back with my Brain Chat family. And we're doing our New Year MS 101. um, And I have the amazing Dr. Aaron Boster with me tonight. So we're going to have a great discussion about disease modifying therapies. Um, And so I'm so excited to share everything with you. But I hope everyone's having um, a great week so far. We've got some amazing announcements coming up from uh, the Joy Life uh, Foundation, as well as, you know, uh, Dr. Mitzi. I've got a new book coming out this week, so we've got an action-packed week. Um, and so we're going to go ahead and get started. I'm broadcasting live from New York. It's not Saturday Night Live, but it's the Brain Chat Show <laughs> um, as we're getting ready for uh, our appearance on the Sherry Shepherd Show later this week. So without further ado, I'm going to bring up the amazing Dr. Aaron Boster. Dr. Aaron Boster is the medical director of the Boster Center for Multiple Sclerosis. Um, He is a longtime colleague and friend, just an amazing neurologist, um, doing excellent work educating. He's got a phenomenal YouTube channel where he talks a lot about um, everything about MS from A to Z. So um, I'm really excited about our conversation tonight, and I'm going to bring him up to the chat. And we also like to thank our sponsors, Biogen, for sponsoring Brain Chat. and then let me bring Dr. Uh, Boster up to the chat. Hi, Dr. Boster. Howdy, howdy. Hey, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. How are you? Wonderful. I've been looking forward to this for weeks now. It is so nice to be back with you. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, the Brain Chat uh, fans all love to hear from you. So we are going to have some fun tonight talking about Woo, Let's do it. All right, let's do it. Okay, so. Whenever you come on Brain Chat, you know the first thing I ask is, tell us what got you interested in neurology and in MS specifically. Absolutely. So uh, I decided to do MS when I was 12, not because my Uncle Mark had MS. He had had MS my whole life. Mm -hmm. Um, But specifically, this I I walked into my grandmother's home in the kitchen, and she and my mom were holding hands. They were crying because they couldn't get a hold of my uncle's doctor, and they were scared, and they felt alone. And so at 12, I told my mom that I would learn to do it better than the men that were taking care of my uncle. Now, I didn't know what I was telling my mom. I didn't know that I'd be bald by the time I was done training or that I'd have to you know, learn a whole new lexicon. But I knew that no family should be made to feel that alone. Um, so to be blunt, I've kind of been mission driven ever since. I was that weirdo in high school that said, I'm going to be an MS doctor. Yeah, that is amazing. That's amazing. And I don't know why I didn't know that. Um, but yeah, that's amazing, Aaron. And um, I didn't have quite that personal story. But I think that all of us who treat MS have some type of personal connection and drive and do it because we really love 
helping people. Um, you know, and it's amazing to see how much you help people with all the great information that you put out there. Listen, I'm telling all my patients to go to your YouTube well, channel and check out. Some- I'll send you your standard check for saying a nice thing. Thank you. I'll just put that Absolutely. right in the mail when we're Absolutely. Call. Yeah, just send me that payment, okay? Send me that payment. All right. All right. So tonight I want to talk about DMTs, um, mm-hmm. disease modifying therapies. Yep. Um, I know we've got a limited amount of time. We've got a lot of ground to cover. So I want to mm-hmm. hit the ground running. First, I want to start with why treatment is important. I think yep. that, you know, I have become very holistic in the way that I treat people. We talk a lot about diet exercise, but I think sometimes we go to the opposite extreme where we, where some people are like, well, I don't want medicine. I only want to do diet exercise. So why is disease modifying therapy important? What is the conversation that you have with your patients about it? In my mind, um, and I, I was smiling as you were talking because we, we treat very similarly. Mm-hmm, um, you know, I, I think both of us embrace a holistic approach. Absolutely. And part of a holistic approach is that it's an and conversation, not right. an or conversation. Right. So it's not as if you can do yoga three times a week, stop eating processed foods, or take a disease-modifying therapy. Right. Um, I want to bring everything that we know to bear to help you live your very best life. You know, that involves exercising as part of your lifestyle. Yes. That involves eating clean and supplementing vitamin D. Yes. That involves not smoking. Yes. That involves mindfulness. Yes. And in my opinion, it also involves a disease-modifying therapy. Yes, absolutely. You know, so I would say, you know, very similarly, as you said, we have very similar styles of treatment, Um, you know, but I would appeal to people and I kind of try to put it in context, right? MS is a disease we've known about since the 1800s, right? We did not have any disease modifying therapy until 1993. So if we want to know how people do without medicine, we've got over 100 years to see how people do without medicine. And we know that they do better with medication. Big time. Um, And we've seen huge change, just even the people in the lobby, right? You know, I have a lot more people who are staying in work longer, who are able to do many of the things that they want to do and, you know, go through and continue their careers, et cetera, because we now have much more highly effective treatments. You're right. Sometimes. Go ahead. Oh, I'm so sorry. Sometimes I just get so excited. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes a a patient will say to me, well, what's the likelihood that I can do well without taking a therapy? And that's a question that we can answer as well from clinical trials. And so the reality is, if you if you want to look at statistics, the likelihood of having no disease activity, NETA, on nothing is oftentimes single digits or like 10 percent, 11 percent best case scenario. And so those are the odds um, and, and I don't know about you, but those are not odds I like. Exactly. Me either. And, you know, I kind of also tell them, have I seen anybody in my career who's ever done well without therapy? The answer to that is yes. Right. Um, True. Is it something Facts. where is it something where at the end of the day, we're like, thank God that turned out OK. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we were like scared the whole time. Yes. Also. Um, but again, the majority of people will need some type of therapy. And the reason it's important to start early is because we can't fix what's already broken. So, Amen. you know, we Amen. want you to start as normal as possible so we can keep you hopefully as normal as possible. And that's I, the goal. I, I think you're spot on. I, I remind people that MS drugs are kind of like a birth control pill against future brain damage. Mm-hmm. And I like to remind people, if you have three kids and you start oral birth control, you still have three kids. They did not right. go away. They right. are, you already have them. The reason you take birth control is because you don't want an unplanned event. Mm -hmm. And if you're curious about why you're on birth control, go hang out with your three kids. (laughs) And my point here is if, if God forbid MS took away the feeling in your left leg, God forbid, 
and you're stuck with that. That's a residual deficit. You don't take a disease-modifying therapy to get rid of that. That's unfortunately already happened. That is your reminder of why you take a disease-modifying therapy because your other leg is not numb, and we want to keep it that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that analogy. Um, So let's talk about, so kind of in the same vein, Mm -hmm. right? Why is treatment important? Let's talk about what are the goals, right? I think this is something that we really have to level set from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, And I try to reinforce this at every visit because inevitably, after we've sat down and talked about how disease modifying therapy doesn't fix what's already broken, someone starts a therapy and then they come in and say, but I don't feel any better. And I have to remind them of that initial conversation that MS therapy is not like your typical medication, right? You have an ache or a pain, you take a, let's say, a a monster, you take something, a Tylenol, and you feel better. That's not what these therapies do. So what are the goals we're trying to accomplish and what does success look like? I I think in order to approach that, um, I I think we, we have to lay out two things. One goals of treatment and then the approach we take, because that's where people get confused sometimes. So, so I'm a guy that treats towards NEDA. So I'm Mm -hmm. shooting for no evidence of disease activity, Mm -hmm. even though it's impossible to have that forever and ever. It's Mm -hmm. easy to know if you hit it or not. You don't need to be highfalutin. You don't have to go to doctor school to be like, I had an attack. That's not okay. Right. Right. I had new spots on my MRI. Not okay. My exams Mm -hmm. were not. So we're shooting for NEDA. And so what within, is evidence of disease activity? So what are, thank what you. are the, so, the so number one, failing a litmus test of life. Mm-hmm. So if you tell me that you don't go to watch your kid play soccer because it's hard to cross the, the grassy knoll, that's not okay. That's right. failing a litmus test of life. If mm-hmm. you're pulling away from activities, something's off, right? Now, obviously, if you have an attack, that's not okay. But to me, those are clinically related things. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have um, a, a new white spot on your MRI or an old one that got bigger or one that lights up like a Christmas tree light bulb, or if there's a bunch of new black spots, or if the brain volume is getting too quickly shrunk, right. that's not okay, right? right. So right. that's a goal. Um, what, what else would be evidence of disease activity? This may be contentious, but I think if I see changes on your exam, I'm mm-hmm. obligated to look at why, and I'm allowed to question the efficacy of the disease-modifying therapy. Right. So, so I want to hear boring. I want you to tell me that you're killing it in the bedroom and in the boardroom and the playing field. I want to have nothing to talk about with you. When I examine you and I run you through the MS Olympics, I want it to yeah. look just like last year. Yeah. And when we pull up your MRI and I got last year's MRI, I want to feel like I'm looking at the exact same thing. Yeah, I love that. And so I describe it as two things. I want to look at two things to determine if it's success, you and your MRIs, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to look at you. Are you getting worse? Are you having attacks? Look at your MRIs and make sure those are not getting worse. And I tell my patients I want to have social visits. So I want you to come show me pictures of where you went on vacation, your Christmas, whatever, your birthday present. And we talk very little about your MS because your MS is stable. And so that is the goal. And so I think that it's really important to stress what success looks like and that Mm -hmm. our treatments do not yet fix what's already broken. So there are other things we can do to help those symptoms, but that's not what the disease modifying therapy is supposed to do. Amen. And and before we move on, I just want to highlight that so that people listening um, don't feel like befuddled, like, oh, they don't treat symptoms. Because what I would say is we, you and I do three things simultaneously. Mm -hmm. We monitor for attacks and we treat them when they occur. Right. We manage chronic symptoms to help people improve their quality of life. 
and we slow the disease down. So today we're talking about slowing the disease down, but but yes, we are sensitive to the pain, the spasticity, the bladder incontinence, 100%. We deal with that in parallel. Right. So, so it's not, again, it's not an or, like, do you want your bladder treated or take a DMT? It's an right. and. It's an and, absolutely. So, and that is part of that holistic approach because really yep. symptom management, um, managing those things like bladder function, numbness and tingling, spasticity, that's what really helps people to be able to live their lives, yes. you know, yes. well on a daily basis. So we're, we're thinking about what you look like in the future, but we're also thinking about what's going on with you today. Correct. But know that your disease modifying therapy, the one you take specifically to slow down the MS, doesn't fix those day-to-day things that are going Correct. on. That's All right. So, so let's switch gears and talk a little bit about um, something that is still kind of controversial in our MS community, but I think the research is showing is leaning toward, you know, one approach versus another. So we talk a lot at our MS meetings about high efficacy therapy early, you knew it's coming, high <laughs> efficacy early versus escalation, right? So, yeah. you know, you have your MS specialist, but many people who live with MS don't see an MS specialist. And even if they do see an MS specialist, some of them still um, have different approaches to therapy. So tell us a little bit about this escalation versus high efficacy early approach to treatment that we're talking about in the MS community. Absolutely. So what we're talking about is a style of treatment, not Mm -hmm. are you a snappy dresser, but the way in which you order your therapies, A to B to C. And there's uh, the most common way on earth, which is uh, the escalation model. And there's Mm -hmm. a newer way, which I think is better, which uh, we'll talk about second, which is uh, early high efficacy. Okay. So the idea of escalation theoretically is it's the perfect balance of risk benefit. We start someone off on a drug that might not be very efficacious in groups, but it's very safe and well tolerated. And then we just see how things go. And if you do well, well, then you're a good patient. I'm a great doctor. That's a great drug. Okay. If you don't do well, don't sweat it. We'll simply upgrade. All right. And then I'll put you on something that theoretically is a little more oomphy, but maybe has worse side effects. Mm-hmm. Now that is flawed logic in my opinion, but mm-hmm. the thought process is it would help someone who doesn't need to be exposed to high risk benefit on a low efficacy therapy. And someone who needs a high efficacy therapy would only be on it when it was appropriate. And so that's the thought process. Mm-hmm. However, it, it assumes that the doctor's all knowing and right. they miss nothing. It assumes right. that the doctor and the patient have ample opportunities to interact and that the patient is completely forthcoming. Right. It, it assu- and when you say, don't worry, if it doesn't work out, we'll upgrade. It doesn't work out means brain damage. Right. So it, we have to allow someone's mom to accrue brain damage before we put her on a drug that's better at preventing that, which is mm-hmm. crazy town in my opinion. So, right, right. But nonetheless, it's the most common utilized style. It's called the escalation style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there are a lot of debates at our meetings about escalation versus high efficacy early. There are several very large clinical trials that are trying to um, give us the ultimate answer, so to speak. But I think there is a lot of data already that suggests Amen. that starting high efficacy therapy oh. early is more effective. And I kind of think of it like, how would I want somebody to treat me, right? Thank you. Um, I'm going to go high or 
stay at home, like my yep. mom used to say when she played yep. cards, right? So we go go high, right? Go, go We're going to hit it. We're going to hit it um, as hard as we can. And then if we need to back off, we back off. Um, but again, what's at stake is your brain and your spine. Yeah. You, and we your, can't get it back if it, yeah. if it isn't. Amen. You know, the, 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 the data within our field is actually compelling. And just real quick, if you look at the, at the Italian registry, mm -hmm. very clearly patients that were started on high FC did better. If you look at the Argentinian registry, same thing. If you look at a head to head Pepsi Coke challenge of Norway against Denmark, crush it. The folks right. that went on higher FC earlier. So we have giant population size studies, which teach us. And at the, at the end of the day, I want to bring a SWAT team to a knife fight. Now, yeah. I don't want to fight a knife fight because I don't know how to fight and I don't want to get cut because that sounds terrible. Right. So I want to hire eight guys named Biff that have <laughs> muscles on their muscles. <laughs> I want them to stand with flak jackets in front of me with semi-automatic weapons. And I'm going to stand like this. And I, you can't see my fingers for a reason. Right. And I'm going to go like that and fight right. the knife behind them. That's how right. I want to play ball. Exactly. And that's why I crafted this sentence. I want you to go on the most effective drug you're comfortable taking. Right. Now, you and I, that may be one drug for someone else. That might be another mm -hmm. because we don't get to pick um, someone's level of comfort. That's exactly. on them. Exactly. Um, and so I think it's a discussion, but I really want to lead towards starting on the most effective thing you're comfortable with just because I think the data is really compelling. Absolutely. You know, and that leads back to shared decision making. Right. So yes. And for our patients or people living with MS or care partners that are out there, it is a conversation that you have with your neurologist. Right. We 100%. sit down, we offer the options. You can do your own research. Um, and then we come back and we make a decision together. Obviously, yeah. we have a level of expertise, but you are the expert on your own body. Um, and then, you know, the other uh, issue that I always like to bring up is that if you're having issues, if you feel like you're getting worse, if you feel like you're not being heard, then find a new neurologist. Yes. If, if you are going to have someone install a sink in your house and they started to argue with you about where the sink goes, right? you'd ask them to leave your house exactly. because it's your sink. Well, your brain is more important than your sink. Right. And so you're a you expert. You have every right to say, um, no, I'm actually not okay with that option. Right. What else you got, doc? Exactly. <laughs> That's an okay thing. That's a conversation. Exactly. And treatment is a converse conversation for every visit. So yes. every visit we revisit. Are we doing the right thing? Do yes. we stay the course or do we need to switch course and do something else? And so exactly I right. really want people to be empowered, number one, with information to know what our goals are, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. if you go in and say your goal is for everything to go back to normal pre-MS, then your we treatment can't. is not going to work because <laughs> we Correct. can't do that. Correct. But with the right expectations, um, it's important to know what success looks like. And if you're not achieving that or having issues with that, then it's okay to seek another opinion it, to get what you need. And I would get even more granular, you know, mm -hmm. in patients and families, you could even start to talk about, we can demand no attacks uh, with some drugs. We can request clinical improvement. We can't mm -hmm. demand it yet. Our drugs aren't that good, but we can really get granular with what it is that we can expect and not expect right. and what we can aspire to achieve. Right. Um, but you're absolutely right that, that, you know, a drug that was a great drug for you beforehand might not be anymore. And mm -hmm. to your point, if, if you're not getting along with your doctor, it's your, you only get one shot at this right. one, one time. And, and if you're not seeing eye to eye with your doctor, I actually think it's fair to say, Hey, I, I don't feel like I'm being listened to. Can, right. can you help me out? Or can you refer me to someone that could? Right. 
Exactly. That's you know, fair. It is fair. And it's a journey, right? You know, particularly with MS, which is a chronic yes. condition that can affect so many aspects mm-hmm. of life, from vision to mm-hmm. sexual function to bowel and bladder. Mm-hmm. You have to have someone that you feel comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you don't feel comfortable, if you don't feel like you're able to share then it's okay to find somebody that you fit well with. I think about it like a hairstylist, right? So yes. if someone, someone cuts your hair and they do a crappy job, right? <laughs> or shaves your head and they do a horrible <laughs> job. You got patches of hair left, right? You're not going to keep going to that barber. You're not going to keep going back and saying, oh, let me let you mess up my stuff again. You know, You're going to find someone else that can fit better into your team. But, you know, along the same lines, there's nothing wrong with having a really big village. So, for mm-hmm. example, your MS neurologist might do a good job of discussing certain aspects of your care, and they may be less comfortable with others. Like a lot of our colleagues, unlike Dr. Williams and myself, are uncomfortable around topics of sex or bowel mm-hmm. or bladder. Mm-hmm. Now, whereas she and I lean into that, there are other right. doctors, it's just not their ballywig. And so if that's the case, say, okay, doc, I understand that you're not comfortable talking about my uh, sexual dysfunction. Would you please refer me to an expert that can help me in that area? It's not that I'm divorcing you, doc. I'm just asking to extend my village. I want to bring a sex expert into the team. Yes, absolutely. And and that's okay too, Uh, you know, because your doctor might have certain areas where they're less comfortable and, and it's fair for you to say, that's cool, but who else can I bring on board? Absolutely. You know, because as neurologists, particularly dealing with MS, you have to kind of, we're experts on a lot of stuff. And so I can't be a 100% expert on everything because I'm still trying to keep up with all the new MS treatments and therapies that are coming out. So I'm happy to refer. I say my lane is over here. And if that's not in my lane, then I'm going to send you to somebody who drops in that lane. Yeah. Yeah. Many of us are junior psychiatrists, junior urologists, (laughs) because, you know, we want to help our patients bring the best to bear. But where I think you and I shine is this discussion about disease modification, assessment of whether it's working and trying to help someone game out their best life. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So let's get into a little bit more of the nitty gritty. So we've done this show. You did this show with me last year. You did such a phenomenal job. Um, Let's talk about these categories of disease modifying Mm -hmm. therapies. Mm -hmm. So let's start from the beginning. Let's start from what we call our platform therapies, ABCR. So tell us a little bit about those, some of the side effects. So we're talking about um, medicines that have been around since the mid-90s, and mm-hmm. they're delivered by self-injection. So they're really mm-hmm. simple pens. It's not like you have to load up a syringe. And there's two classes. There's a medicine called glutiramor acetate. Uh, so mm-hmm. code name is Copaxin or Glutopa. Mm-hmm. And this is a shot that you take under the skin uh, three times a week. Mm-hmm. And it shows your uh, immune system its target, myelin, three times a week and your immune system gets bored and doesn't care as much. So then when it sees the real deal, it's like, eh, I saw that yesterday. Mm-hmm. So then there's a larger class of medicines that are the beta interferons. Mm-hmm. And so this is like Rebif, uh, beta seron, Extavia, Plegrity, Avonex, right? Mm-hmm. And, and most of those are under the skin. Um, Avonex is a little bit deeper and mm-hmm. they're all given in different frequencies. So you're either taking a shot once a week, once every two weeks, or mm-hmm. as frequently as every other day. Mm-hmm. And the way the interferons work is they tighten up the blood-brain barrier. So the naughty autoreactive cells that would leave the bloodstream and cross in the brain, they make a better barrier. So I always think of the three little pigs. If the blood-brain barrier is the straw house and you squirt Rebif on it, it becomes the stick house. It's a better mm-hmm. house. And so those were the first drugs that we had available. Now, mm-hmm. side effects, we've got injection reactions where you inject yourself. 
Mm-hmm. Um, with Copaxone, extremely rarely you can have like a like a panic attack type reaction called mm-hmm. an idiopathic injection reaction. Not mm-hmm. dangerous, but but scary. Scary. Less, mm-hmm. less than fifteen minutes. With interferons, interestingly, interferons are what our own body makes as the immediate response to a virus, and that the interferon that our body makes makes us feel flu-like. So if you bottle that and then inject it into you, interferons can make you feel like you have the flu. And unfortunately, that's one of the side effects that some people can have. Yeah. Also, interferons are processed by your liver, and so you want to check liver enzymes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So those are platform therapies. Um, you know, those are when we talk about escalation, those are often the ones that people start with, you know, mm-hmm. and I still see a fair amount of people who start off on these drugs. Now, one of the interesting things is that some people are what we call super responders. So I've had yes. some people who will go on, let's say, an interferon and they're on it for 20 years and they do great, um, even though it will be considered one of our lower efficacy you know, therapies. The problem is we don't know how to predict who's going to be that super response. So it's a small percentage of people and they do great when they do great, but there's no way for us to predict who's going to do great. If we could predict, we'd put everybody on that therapy. Absolutely. absolutely. Can't look into the future. Exactly. So let's move on and let's talk about our oral therapies. So I remember a time where my patients were like, oh, my God, am I going to have to stick myself with these injections? For There was no pill. So when we no. came out of training, Aaron, there was no pill. Yep. October um, so, 2010 was yes. the first FDA approved pill. And that yes. was a pretty big day. I remember. <laughs> that was a big, big day. It was yep. like, hallelujah. All right. So let's talk about the oral therapies. So we have, uh, interestingly, we have many different oral therapies. So I'm just going to kind of go through them by class. So yeah. there's two pills that are, they're called fumaric esters. It's actually a type of salt. The first one, dimethylfumarate, that's Tecfidera, and it's a pill twice a day. And there's a newer version, diroxymethylfumarate, which is Vumerity, and that's two pills mm-hmm. twice a day. Mm-hmm. And those drugs work in a very creative fashion. They trick um, the cells into thinking they're under oxidative stress, and they make the cells uh, respond in this antioxidant cascade of lovely, which actually like quells inflammation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's uh, pretty effective at treating MS. Mm-hmm. Side effects from the pills, you can have some GI upset or facial flushing. And you got to mm-hmm. check liver enzymes with these medicines. Absolutely. We'll move on to a very large class called the mm-hmm. S1P receptors. And mm-hmm. so Jelinia is the legacy drug. It was the first one that came out. That's I referenced in October 2010. Mm-hmm. And there's now several uh, second generation drugs. Zyposia, mm-hmm. Ponvori, and Mazent are second mm-hmm. gen. Now, all yeah. of these are once a day pills. And they work by making about 80% of your white blood cells get trapped in your lymph node. And if they're mm-hmm. trapped in the lymph node, they can't circulate in the blood. Therefore, they can't gain access to the brain. Mm-hmm. And so it slows MS pretty lovely. Yeah. Now, the side effects of these medicines, there's some, some concerns about how we start them. And there's some mm-hmm. concerns around the heart. So you have to listen to your doctor's instructions about getting on the medicine safely And when you're on the medicines, we want to make sure that we're looking at some low risks of problems with eyes or skin problems or cancer risks. Um, These medicines are well tolerated generally. Uh, They don't make people feel really yucky. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a medicine called Abagio, teraflutamide, Mm -hmm. which is also a once a day pill. It works very differently. It makes the Mm -hmm. cells in the body play the freeze game. So the white Mm -hmm. blood cells can't reproduce very quickly. Um, Mm -hmm. And it also has been shown to slow down MS. Um, and, and that medicine is uh, also something that could cause GI upset, very rarely raises blood pressure. About 13% of people have thinning hair. 
This is not sitting here. This is milk. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, uh, Abagio also, you have to check your liver enzymes, of course. And then there is what, in my biased opinion, is king of the pills. Uh, and that's the one of the more recent drugs called Mavenclad or Cladamine. And this is actually a micro-induction therapy where you're taking a pill a day for five days in a row, then nothing the rest of the month. So it's like a reverse birth control pill. And then the second month, five days in a row, then you're done for the year. So 10 pills the first year. You repeat the second year, so 10 pills the second year, and then you don't take other treatment unless there's new disease activity. So it's right. a micro-induction therapy. Right. There obviously risks of cancer screening and infections, et cetera, et cetera. But mm -hmm. you know, as, as, you, as you listen, you may think, wow, there's a lot of pills, because there are a lot of pills. It's a very, very exciting time to offer oral therapies. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's so amazing. You know, one of the reasons that I went into MS was because I knew it was going to be the cutting edge of medicine. Yes. Yes. I knew there was a lot that still was left to be discovered. And just to see the treatment landscape change so much oh. in my lifetime has just been amazing. Amazing for me as a scientist, but amazing for the patients, you know, yes. the people that we get to treat and we yep. get to help. So you talked about, you know, um, for oral therapies, but let's go back to injections. So there ah, is another injection there is. <laughs> that now, fits in another class. So let's, let's talk about. Um, so yeah, so um, when Dr. Williams and I say injection, almost in a biased fashion, we don't think about this new drug, which is right. an injection. Right. There's a newer drug that happens to be an injection. It's called ufotuimab or Casimta, and it's a high efficacy drug. It's a B cell depleter. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, it goes in the top tier of medicines, which is why I hadn't described it yet, but it's actually a self-injection once a month. Right. Um, and, and it's important to make a distinction. Um, you know, I on social media have said things that I don't really use the injections, but I always have to then clarify. Right. I, I certainly use the hey, hey, out of some Kisemta because that's a great drug. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So let's talk about... Um, moving more into what we consider our yep. higher efficacy, right? So, you know, there's a lot of conjecture about some of our oral therapies, mm -hmm. which ones we think are high mm -hmm. efficacy, which mm -hmm. ones are mid or, or what have you. But yeah. let's talk about the ones that we clearly think um, are high efficacy therapies. So let's start with the B-cell um, yep. depleters um, and so talk about that th class. Three B-cell depleters, and these are all top shelf stuff. So, mm -hmm. you know, this is like arguing over Ferraris and Lamborghinis. So, so we have the one medicine that we mentioned a second ago, Kisemta. All right. And so that's a B-cell depleter that you take once every month. Uh, it's a self-injection that you do at home. Uh, the uh, the first drug that was approved in the class is a drug, ocrelizumab or ocrus, and that's an infusion in the vein, which is given over about two and a half hours twice a year, which is kind of lovely. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's another drug that literally just joined the market uh, like less than a month ago called ublituximab. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we lost you for a second there, Dr. Sorry Foster. about that. Okay. I, <laughs> I had to log on to my phone, and uh, I just got a spam call, so I apologize. <laughs> That's okay. Um, so RuMV, uh, which is ublituximab, is the newest anti-CD20. And that's a medicine you infuse the first one over four hours, and then it's only one hour every six months. Mm -hmm. And so these medicines are highly effective by mm -hmm. going in and identifying adult B cells and depleting them. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, your T cell attacks your brain and spinal cord, but it can't do it unless the B cell gets it pissed off and like riled up. Mm -hmm. So by killing the B cell, the T cell can see your brain, but it's not adequately stimulated to attack you. 
Mm-hmm. So it's a really clever indirect mechanism, these B-cell depleters. And it turns out to be some of the most effective ways of treating MS that we've come across. Absolutely. So I use um, rap analogies uh, when I draw pictures for my patients about B-cells and T-cells. I call T-cells our main rapper. Let's say, you know, public enemy is one of my favorites. I'm dating yes. myself. Uh, yes. So let's say the T-cells are Chuck D, right? Chuck D is the main rapper. He's going in there doing all the stuff, writing all the rhymes. And then the B-cells are Flavor Flav. Right. The yes. person that's on the stage hyping them up. I call the B cells the yes. hype men. All right. Yes. Um, and so that's an excellent example. But I call the T cells, the rappers, the B cells, the hype men. And by depleting the B cells of the hype men, they're less available to encourage the T cells to do that attacking or to do that work. So yep. I love your analogy too. All right. So B cells. And this was really interesting because this was not an approach that we used to treat MS initially. So this is relatively. You and I were taught this shouldn't work. We were taught it's a T cell disease, um, exactly. but our, we've, we've come a long way since then. You're absolutely right. Come a long way. Right. We should talk about side effects. I, I forgot yes. to do that really quickly. So when you're using a, a medicine that's depleting B cells, that is a form of immunosuppression. Now it's not right. a massive immunosuppression, but there is some degree of immunosuppression. And so when you see that, then you can have an increased risk of infection. Um, mm-hmm. And particularly during the COVID pandemic, there's some sensitivity around when people get vaccines and when they take B cell depleters that you want to talk through with your doctor. Mm-hmm. There's also a small reaction um, when you get infused. And, and I will say that amongst the infused medicines, these are pretty easy to tolerate. If you're given some good pre-medications with the Ocrevus, for example, um, and uh, with the Bruemvi, with, with the, the self-injection, I, I normally people tolerate it very well. Yeah. A, lot of, a lot of people tell me the first shot, they may feel a little punky, but after mm-hmm. that, they're good in the hood. Yeah. Um, and it's just important to keep in mind those risks. We also don't recommend that women become pregnant when they're right. taking these medicines. And so we want to plan some pregnancies. Absolutely. So B cell depleters, let's talk about, um, we have two more infusions uh, to talk about. So let's talk about the other two. Infusions. Yep. So Tysabri is a medicine that came out when we were in training. And, mm-hmm. and it's amazing that something that came out in 2004 is still top shelf. You know, mm-hmm. if you look at your cell phone, it is not from 2004, I guarantee, unless you happen to work in a museum. But this drug has remained one of the best drugs on the market. It's, it remains top shelf. And Tysabri is given in the vein. I give it every six weeks. Many of us do. It's also yeah. uh, given every four weeks. Mm-hmm. And it works by making the blood-brain barrier super tight. So remember the mm-hmm. analogy of the of the straw house and the three little pigs and you squirt mm-hmm. Rebif and it becomes the stick house? When you put Tysabri on, it becomes the brick house. Mm-hmm. And then we have to go, she's a brick. Right. Ow. How? <laughs> so so it, it really makes a barrier that nothing can get through. Yeah. Um, and it's a very effective way of treating MS. Mm-hmm. There is a, a very small concern of a brain infection called yes. PML. And so we can check people's uh, labs and it helps guide us. And you can work with your doctor to look at the risks of that. But Tysabri mm-hmm. is a highly effective therapy. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, Limtrata, alimtuzumab, mm-hmm. a drug mm-hmm. that I'm particularly fond of, mm-hmm. and that's um, an induction therapy. So that's an infusion in the vein given for five days in a row, and then you wait a year, then three days in a row, and then you don't treat again unless you have new disease activity. Now, mm-hmm. I'm of the opinion it's one of the most effective drugs I've used and one of the most risky and most complex. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's four things to think about with that drug. There's infusion reactions. Mm -hmm. 93% of people have, you're going to have infusion reactions. Risk of infection, particularly early on. 
All right, so then we also have to think about this drug can cause autoimmunity. There's actually like a 41% chance of thyroid autoimmunity, for example. Right. And lastly, a very low risk of cancer, about 0.3%. Yeah. Um, and so it's a complex drug. So yeah. those are the what I would consider to be like the high efficacy therapies. Absolutely. All right. So let's also talk about another therapy that is right around the corner. Let's yes. talk about BTK yeah. inhibitors, right? So there, there's Super lots excited. of buzz about these. Yeah, let's talk about those. Amen. I'm very, very excited about these molecules. So, so I was saying earlier how the B cell depleters are very effective, mm -hmm. but they kill B cells and they create a risk of infection. Mm -hmm. um, also, every single therapy you and I have talked about only treats less than half the immune system. It all works on the adaptive immune system. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work on the innate immune system. Mm -hmm. And most of the treatments we've talked about can only work in the periphery. They can't enter the central compartment, which right. is kind of a bummer. Right. So there's a, there's a therapy which has actually been used in cancers for some time. It's a small molecule called a BTK inhibitor. So, so these BTK inhibitors, they're pills that you swallow and they do two cool things. One, they block B cell communication without murder. So mm -hmm. they, they kind of plug up the B cells. So la, 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 I can't hear you. And they can't communicate, but you don't kill them. So there mm -hmm. isn't the same infection risk. Mm -hmm. Number two, they cross the blood brain barrier. They get in the head and they work on a cell that we've never been able to touch. It's part of the innate immune system. They're called microglia. Mm -hmm. microglia are like the incredible Hulk and they get mad and they eat stuff they're not supposed to like your brain. Mm -hmm. And we've never been able to turn them off. Well, BTK inhibitors literally turn them off. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very excited about BTK inhibitors because they bring two new mechanisms of action to the table that we've never had before. Right. Right. I love it. You know, there's just so much exciting, you know, and, you know, research that's going on And there. Are, how many BTK? Are there four that are in oh. the works? There. So there's actually there's, there's actually uh, several that are in phase two. So mm -hmm. so Serono has evobrutinib. And mm -hmm. um, so Genentech has made a product called fenobrutinib. Mm -hmm. uh, Sanofi has a product uh, called tulabrutinib. Mm -hmm. Um, so risibrutinib is something made by Novartis mm -hmm. and then Lily has a phase two BTK and Biogen has a phase two BTK. So yeah. that may be six. If you include the phase two, very yes. robust, very, yes. very robust. Yes. So very, very promising. All right. And so we're coming along to close to the end of the brain chat, but I don't want to end without us talking about repair. So yes. Many of our therapies we know can stop inflammation. We've gotten much, much better at stopping inflammation. The two things are, that I think we, we definitely are lacking is, number one, something that really focuses on progression. Yes. Um, you know, we have some therapies. Our therapies theoretically slow the progression of MS. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes we find ourselves with our patients saying, I'm getting worse. I'm taking my medicine. My MRIs look the same, but I'm getting worse. Um, and then the other issue is repair. Um, yes. What is in the works to try to fix some of the damage that's been broken. Let me give two quick answers as we wrap mm -hmm. up. The yeah. first one is some of the very best evidence today for repair is exercise. Mm -hmm. Legit. So, I, I mean, I know that's not a medicine, but but the impact of exercise in the life of someone with MS is, is huge. Yeah. Um, and there's a huge uh, literature supporting that you can actually probably do more with brain repair and remyelination and stuff by exercising than a lot of things at present. So that's the first comment. I don't want to mm -hmm. ignore that because that's something we can do in the now. Absolutely. Now I'm going to go back to these BTK inhibitors. There's a lot of ways that I can answer your question, but it looks like 
remyelination may be inhibited by microglia activation. Like mm -hmm. the microglia that are turned on in the brain inhibit our ability to remyelinate. Re mm -hmm. And so there's papers that have come out suggesting in mouse models that if you can turn off these activated microglia, you might be able to help with remyelination. And so mm -hmm. I think that these this BTK business is more exciting than just because it's a new mechanism. Yeah. We may be really, really on to something um, because yeah. it looks like working on microglia may pave the way to allow remyelination to occur. Yeah, and we know that those mechanisms of remyelination are impaired um, in people who have multiple sclerosis. Yeah. And so I think one final question before we wrap up, what do you think about, where do you think we are in terms of a cure for MS? Humbly, uh, I, I don't think that we're going to see a cure around the corner. Uh, and I don't mm -hmm. say that to be a Debbie Downer. Right. Um, I truly believe that I truly believe that our understanding of the immune system is still growing. I mean, mm -hmm. we, we, we don't even have an FDA approved drug that touches the innate immune system. You know, right. two, three years ago, we learned that the brain had a lymphatic system. So, mm -hmm. so humbly, I think we're still learning how the immune system works. And yeah. I, I, I think it's unlikely with an incomplete understanding, we're going to stumble on a cure, mm -hmm. but in the now today, when you play it right with a holistic approach, like you offer in your clinic, Mm -hmm. We can make MS boring. Absolutely. So by following your guidelines, by embracing exercise, by eating clean, by supplementing vitamin D, by not smoking, mm -hmm. by addressing cardiovascular risk factors, mm -hmm. by taking an MS medicine and making sure it's working, today you can make MS boring. And, yeah. and, and that's, that's, that's a big deal. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, it kind of lends itself. I've been really kind of studying up and thinking about this concept of prehabilitation that yes. we use in orthopedics and in surgical specialties. And the thought behind prehabilitation is that we know that some insult is coming, like you're going to have surgery, yeah. your knee is going to be down. So yeah. we build you up, exercise, eating clean diet, doing everything you can do to get yourself in the best shape possible so that if or when that insult occurs, you're going to do better than if you were a couch potato before you yeah. started. And I think that, you know, I'm beginning to look at that approach more so with MS, but also recognizing that all of these things can help modify your disease to a certain extent, let, exercise, stress reduction, all of those things. Let me piggyback off what you're saying, because it, it, it goes um, beyond that in that right. if, if I have a patient that wants a remyelinating therapy, which I can't offer them because I don't have one, Mm -hmm. But by living their best life and by taking this seriously, we're going to keep their brain and their nervous system in such good shape, I hope, yes. and those remyelinating agents come about, they can receive them and benefit from them. Absolutely. So, so there's so many reasons to yes. push and yes. to try to live your best life. And, you know, and I, I love talking with you because I know that's what you're all about. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then one more question I see from someone in the chat about age and DMTs. Uh, someone yes. remarked that their doctor said that they were too old. For DMTs, tell us your thoughts about age. Right. So, so that is I, not um, something I would say. <laughs> I, I am a little bit opinionated. I feel very strongly, and I will argue with anyone that disagrees with me that you should never, ever continue therapy after death. No, I don't agree with it at all. When a patient dies, we must stop the therapy because right. they don't. They haven't been tested in dead people, and they right. they simply don't. We don't know if they work. Now, right. if you are alive mm -hmm. and you have a nervous system with features that you like like seeing, swallowing, orgasming, peeing, like if you, there's some things that you enjoy doing and you have a nervous system or an immune system that attacks it, 
I want to help prevent that. Right. Um, and we could have a long debate, but my, my contention is being ageist is not appropriate. Right. I think it's appropriate to de-escalate medicines to reduce risk, right. but I do not agree with stopping someone's medicine because they happen to have a birthday. Exactly. That's just my opinion. Yeah. And I feel the same way. You know, I think, uh, you know, as we're looking at research, there are some studies where people looking at MS. And I remember coming through training and there was this thought about MS burning out after a certain age. But I have lots of patients in their 60s and their 70s who still have yep. active disease. So we have to always weigh the risk versus the benefits. Make sure we're on the right course, but that doesn't mean that we just drive the train off the track just because you're a certain Exactly. So I totally agree with you there. Someone who's in their 70s is less statistically likely to have an attack, and they're less likely to bounce back if they do. Right. So taking a DMT takes on a different insurance policy. Exactly. It's still important. No, I, I um, we are, uh, as as per our usual, we're, we're very much aligned. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. I'm going to have to have you back um, on Brain Chat, but tell everyone where to find you, where to find all your amazing information. Awesome. Tell us about your center. Tell us how to find you, Dr. Buck. Thank you. Um, so my name's Aaron Boster. And, and as always, thank you for learning about MS with me today. Um, I run the Boster Center for Multiple in uh, sunny Columbus, Ohio. So that's bostermms.com if you want to check us out online. Uh, you can find me on YouTube. Uh, I make a video every Monday morning. I have since a long time now, 2015. Uh, my YouTube channel is my name, Aaron Boster MD. And so you can check me out there. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, all the same, Aaron Boster MD. And so wave howdy hi if you see me on the interwebs. Thank you. Uh, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Aaron Boster. Thank you to you guys and I think our sponsor. Um, and please stay tuned. We've got some amazing news coming up um, on Brain Chat. Uh, we've, uh, my, we've declared this week Joy Week because we've got so much exciting news going on. And so thank you guys for tuning in. We will see you in two weeks for another brain chat. Thank you.